I trust that is our reason for living, is to follow Christ. <clears throat> there goes our whole front row. We were reminded last night, my uh, daughter watched Schindler's List. I've never seen the whole thing, but saw bits and pieces of it. If you've never seen it, you better have a strong stomach if you're going to watch it. But it amazes me how depraved man can be. Now, if you're not familiar with Schindler's List, is, it's about the Holocaust. Um, what the Jews went through. How blindly people followed Hitler. It's even more amazing to me how blindly the Jews walked into the gas chambers knowing what was going to take place and just walked right into it. It's just amazing the depravity of man. But when we follow Christ, those things can't happen. And one day, look forward to that day, the world will follow Christ. Our sin nature will be gone, the sin curse from this world will be gone, and... And I'm looking forward to that day. It's something for us to look forward to. But if you and I are not following Him, what is the rest of the world going to follow? And that's the problem of the world today. So there needs to be some of us that are following Christ, and hopefully there will be those that will follow. I guess the chance from that song, we need to ask this question of ourselves personally. Are we looking behind us? And seeing who's following. Now, to me, it was exciting to see all these young guys up here in this front row here. You know, they're 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 following Christ. And I know Vanda will be teaching that. Joy Clubs will be teaching that. In our Bible school, we teach them that. But if the parents and the grandparents are not setting that example, we can't expect our young people to follow. So I'm grateful to the parents and the grandparents to make sure they get their children here to grow. But and years ago, and it was a challenge to me as a parent. I don't know if you remember this commercial on, on television. His dad sits down next to a tree, and his little two-year-old sits down next to him, and he gets out of cigarettes. And dad lights up a cigarette, and he sets the cigarettes down. And the and little lad picks up the cigarette, looks at dad, looks at the cigarettes, looks at dad, and what do you want to do? He wants to be like dad. You know? And so we as parents have to be very, very careful what we're uh, going to set for an example for our kids. Um, now, Glenn, I didn't forget. I almost did, but <laughs> Glenn, I had, Glenn has some things he wants to share with us and, and, and some things that... Um, so I want Glenn to come and do that now before I get started my message, if you would, please. And uh, um, Glenn's kind of our... Uh, He's inspiration to me, anyways, in, in the area of evangelism. And uh, so I want him to challenge us in that area, too, today. Thanks, Pastor. I appreciate him so much. I really do. Good morning. Uh, last Wednesday, I was reading through uh, Numbers, and uh, boy, the Lord just stirred my heart. You know how sometimes you read Scripture and it just blows up at you, you know, and jumps out at you? And I was reading and, and uh, studying the, 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 the scriptures and the passages, and um, the Lord really spoke to my heart. And I, so I emailed Pastor, and I said, man, I got some things I got to share. I said, you know, the Lord really spoke to me. And he's so gracious, you know. He's, I'll tell you, I've been in a lot of churches because we've, we've moved a lot over the years between being transferred and job situations. And, and so we've been in a lot of churches. And I'm telling you, we've got, and I'm not throwing flowers, maybe I am. I don't mean to be throwing flowers, but I really appreciate him. I, I appreciate that uh, he's a down-to-earth guy, that all he wants is he wants us as a body of believers to follow the Lord and to um, be a witness for him. And and uh, uh, it's just good. And I appreciate I appreciate your willingness to let me share, especially in the, in the middle of your message because you forgot. So <laughs> we do appreciate that, and, and thank you. But... Um, Anyways, I just want to share a few things with you, and I'll do it, I'll do it just briefly. But um, just turn, if you would, into Numbers. I was reading through Numbers, and turn to um, uh, Numbers, just, just briefly, Numbers 31.3 to start with. Numbers 31, verse 3. 
And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of the Midian, of Midian. Uh, that you know, I started doing a word. I love doing word studies and, and seeing where the, the original words came from. And that the 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 root of that word for the for Midianites um, is a quarrel or a conflict. And then there's that phrase, "Avenge the Lord of Midian." And so if you put that together, what that's talking about is this was not the Israelites' battle. This was not their conflict. This was not their quarrel. This was the Lord's against the Midianites. The Midianites were idolaters and they were God's enemy. And God is saying to the Israelites, you go for me and avenge me before these people. So God's speaking to them that way. And you know, we're in a battle. We're in a battle and we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy that, that uh, is our adversary and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy, it says. And the especially in the New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament is all about battles. You know, you, as you read the Old Testament, it's all about battles, this battle, that battle that the Israelites went through. But in the New Testament, they use a lot of terms for um, warfare and says we're in a battle and it says that we're to put on the whole armor of God that may we may stand against the wiles of the devil remember the battle is in our mind and we have to fight against that battle every day and I'll give you an example when I when I was um, Wednesday morning I was charged up I was fired up and I shot an email off to pastor to ask him if I could share it man I, you know I, I just burning inside to share and I woke up this morning and I said man I don't want to share anything I am spiritually dead I don't want to do that I can't do this and uh, I said what I send that stupid email for these are all thoughts that are going through my mind and you know if we dwell on those things and rehearse those things in our mind it's just a downhill spiral isn't it and and we have a tendency to do that but I did scripture says another uh, um, military term it says to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ so I took captive I said no that's not true I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and my strength is or my my uh, uh, how's it? my grace is sufficient for thee because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So I kept thinking that. And I kept say, saying to myself, I can do all things for Christ that strengthens me. And in, 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 Deuteronomy, or in Numbers, um, or in Deuteronomy this morning, I read that, uh, you know, we're to serve the Lord. One of the ways we show the Lord, we serve the Lord. Well, I really feel that I serve the Lord by trying to be an inspiration to you guys and try to encourage you to share the things of the Lord with, with people. So I, I kept telling myself, no, I can do all things. And you know, the, the Lord actually um, uh, uh, encouraged me and changed my mind. That's what I'm saying. We take captive those thoughts and not dwell on those, our tendency that, oh, I can't do this, or um, I'll never get well, or Whatever the I can't, you put your your problem in. The more you dwell on that, the more it becomes reality. But you say no, no. I am blessed through God. Scripture says I am blessed. Um, so, anyways, I got reading more on, on, into Numbers, and let's just take a look at Numbers 32, verse 1. 32. Now the children of the Reubens. Uh, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazar, the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and unto the uh, Ezra the priest and unto the prince of the congregation, say, and then verse 4, even the, this country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, 
if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants. Mine's cut off, so unto verse 5 for possession and bring us not over the Jordan. And then verse 6. And Moses said unto the children, and the God of the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Well, God used that verse to really convict me, because I have not been sharing the uh, witnessing to people recently. I haven't felt good, so I haven't been out. And uh, um, when I am out, I just I just don't have the energy or the willingness to, to witness. So I was convicted about that, that my brethren... Um, they go to war, but I'm sitting here. I'm not doing anything. So the Lord uh, really convicted me. That day I was going to, um, I was going to witness. Because uh, I was going out. I was going to be in the field. I was going to witness. So I armed myself. I armed myself with my tracks. And, and uh, I, I said, Lord, just um, lead me to the people that you want me to share with. I really think we need to be led by the Spirit, not just by our, by our flesh. So sure enough, I get out into the field. I'm, I'm, I'm at this church, and uh, it's a big building. I'm big. They have several, they have, I don't know how many buildings, and big place. And, um, but I could tell that, that uh, just by, I put out feelers when I'm talking to people, and, and the people I was talking to, they weren't saved. The one was a big time attorney. He had a big staff and stuff. And the other person I was with uh, was a business um, lady, and they, she was the uh, head of the trustees or something. And and uh, all of a sudden, I was a little bit uh, um, sheepish, a little gun shy, you know. That I left the house all fired up, but then I get in front of him and I get a little bit uh, uh, cold feet, you know. So. But the Lord kept on saying, no, I want you to witness to these people. And so I said, all right. So um, I, I did. I, I shared some things with them and, and uh, shared my testimony and, and, and stuff. And, and uh, the, it was interesting um, that the lady said to me, boy, I, I can tell this is real to you. I can just tell because of the sparkle in your eye. You know, because I got excited about it. Once we start talking about the things of the Lord and he puts his spirit on us that, um, you know, we can share and out of our excitement. So anyways, um, we get done and, and, I, and I like to give out a tr um, track because, you know, at least gives them the word to be with. And these tracks, I, I like it because it says, born again. And so people that are, you know, they can be religious, but it's a whole different board story when you said to someone, are you born again? So I, I had these tracks out and I kept looking at them and uh, I kept on saying, no, you know, I, I get sheepish again. But uh, I said, no, I'm going to give them so I give. I said, here, let me give you something good to read. This is just before we left. And I go, no, and they said, okay, thank you very much. And I left. And you know, just by doing that little thing, I, I left away saying, I'm, I was obedient to the Lord. And the Lord blesses that. He blesses our obedience. And I just, wa I just wanted to encourage you. You don't have to arm yourself with tracks necessarily, but it's a way to, to get the word in front of people. But just take that step of obedience. God, we are all in this war together. And you can't let your brethren, what does it say? Shall your brethren go to war while ye sit here? So God is going to lead you to people that he's not going to lead me to or to pastor to or to others to. And, and he wants you to share the Lord with him. So I want to encourage you to do that. There's some new tracks out there um, for the, they're in Chinese. So if you go to that Chinese buffet, take some of these with you. And I don't know, I, I, I it's all in Chinese, so it might be a Mormon track for all I know, but uh, you can give that to them. <laughs> Amen. Well, if you've ever eaten at the Chinese, they always have Christian music playing there, so I don't know if they're Christians or not, but I've always wanted to ask them, but I never got to it. But uh, thank you, Glenn. We, we certainly need that challenge. I, I think we'd all agree that we're in the last days, and we really need to be about the Father's business. If there's going to be people more and more interested in listening to the gospel, it's going to be now. Because when things are going smoothly, they don't need God. But uh, even you know, some people I've been talking to the last couple of weeks, they know they're unsaved, but they know that there's something going on. And, and they think we're in the last days. They don't know what that means, but they've heard it. And, and some of them are scared. And that's a perfect opportunity to share Christ. So, well, good. Um, um, Glenn, you stole some of my thunder here. But... Uh,
Uh, no, not really. Because uh, we are dealing, dealing this morning with, with some heart issues in regard to conflicts. Um, we all get into arguments and squabbles with one another one time or another. That's just human nature, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, again, we got to be reminded of this. Why does God allow conflicts to come between us from a variety of ways? Because it reveals the weakness in our spiritual character that needs to be dealt with. And so he allows things to come along, come along to, to kind of shake us up. And so um, Psalm 37, 4, as we start there, um, there's some that totally misinterpret this passage of Scripture and others that are similar to it that God will give us the desires of our heart. Um, so that means God will give me anything. So if God doesn't give me what I want, then God must not exist. That's the way some of the world looks at it, because they have it figured out in their mind that this is the way things should go, and it doesn't go that way. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. The qualifier there is in the first part of the that verse, Delight thyself also in the Lord. If you are delighting yourself in the Lord, you and God are on the same thinking wave. And therefore your desires are going to match His desires. So I believe what that means is, when I'm delighting in Him, He will give me proper godly desires. And they're going to they're gonna match up. And I'll be thrilled when I get them. And if you've been saved any length of time, you know that we can acquire a lot of money, we can acquire a lot of material things, but unless it comes to the Lord and it's being used properly for Him, it can only distract us from Him. And so we don't want those desires. So this is I desire. We need to ask this question. Is my desire a good thing or a bad thing? Now, I don't know about you, but I want peace. I want quiet. I would like respect. A loving re spouse. Maybe somebody like a new computer. I would like a success on my job. Are there anything wrong with those things? Absolutely not. Nothing wrong with those things. But they can become bad things when they become the number one priority. And we've all done it to some degree. And we need to understand this, that when those things become our priority, more than what they should be, it's always going to damage relationships. Because if I want something from my wife that she's not giving me, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to manipulate her into my kingdom. I'm going to try to train her. Now, it's worked the other way. In fact, I was talking to a fellow the other day. I've been married 39 years, and if the Lord ever took my wife, I don't think I want to start again because it took her 39 years to get me trained to where I am. <laughs> I don't want to start over again. <laughs> I'm just joking, but because my wife has never been that way. But I have tried to manipulate her. I had this preconceived idea what our marriage relationship should be like, and when she doesn't come in and, and uh, get me my newspaper and get my slippers and, and my coffee when I come in the door, i got to manipulate her and get her to do that. I've never been able to be successful at that, but... <laughs> and I've never actually done that either, but you get the point. We try to manipulate the other to fit into what we think is what is right and what we want. And therefore, we create a conflict because the other one is doing the same thing. And so we got to squabble because we're not working together and, and we got our priorities wrong. That's why Mark 12.30 needs to be the most important verse. And there's that verse again. It keeps coming up because everything goes back to that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's our number one priority. If I'm loving Him, then I, where does that put me in the chain of command? God first, other second, me last. So it doesn't matter what I want. I'm here to serve Him, serve you, and if there's anything left over, I get leftovers, but that's okay. Now, I've learned over the years that when I do it that way, I'm very satisfied with the leftovers, as it were. So, the good thing can become the bad thing when it becomes the most important thing. And so when we begin to see ourselves getting agitated, 
upset, miserable, cranky, irritable, we better stop and take a look at why am I this way? What am I trying to force? Because we've already talked about this in the past. You can't make me mad. That's my choice. You can say all you want. Now, if what you're saying to me is true, I shouldn't be mad. I should be grateful. But if what you're saying to me is not true, are you going to damage my image? Not before him. And that's all that matters. Now, I would like to be, and I, uh, Glenn, I have to pay a little lecture for that promo earlier, you know, but uh, not really. <laughs> I appreciate Glenn's appreciation of me. We all like that. But what if I don't get that? Is that important? Not really. I'm not here to be appreciated. I'm not here to build an image. The only image I want to build is his. And when we focus on that, that takes a lot of frustration on because now I don't have to worry about what you think of me. But when I do the right thing the right way, the Bible says you're going to be a very likable individual. Now, are you going to be liked by everybody? No. Because some are not going to appreciate who we represent. The Bible speaks about, Christ told us about that in John 17. They're going to hate you. But it's not because they hate you. They hate me. They're just going to take it on you because you're the one standing there they can take it out on. You ever experienced that as a Christian? Maybe not much here in America, but there's other places across the globe today. Our brothers and sisters are suffering terribly because of who they represent. So I turn things into, I demand. I deserve this. And if you watch the commercials, they'll convince you that. You deserve a break today. You deserve to have this gorgeous hair. You got to wear these clothes. You got to drive this car because you deserve it. Do we deserve anything? The Bible says there's no one good. I don't deserve anything. So whatever blessings I'm enjoying today, it, it's icing on the cake from God. But I can turn that into a demand. We justify our demand, our desires. Have you ever... You know, you got this... You know it's sin. But you enjoy it. What kind of mental gymnastics do you go through to convince yourself that you can do this and get away with it? Right? If you're honest with yourself, I do it, you do it, we all do it. That turmoil, that conflict in our brain, that's where it starts. We justify it, we excuse it. And so whatever that good thing is, it becomes idolatry. We come to worship, I must have. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 19. In fact, with our, our counselors that we're training now and, and in my counseling sessions, and one thing in the counseling session is there, fill in the blank, I must have. Because usually the person that's sitting across the, the, the desk from me and from our counselors is, I must have this, and I will do whatever it takes to get it. And therefore, a conflict starts somewhere, whether it be personally, or with someone in their life. What I am saying then, what and that an, that an idol is anything or that is offered to idols is anything. Who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to Christians. Can Christians get caught up in idolatry? Absolutely. Now we may not have an image that we're bound down to, but we may have a car that we're bound down to. We might have a house that we're bound down to. We might have a job that we're bound down to. We might even be bound down to our own image. Well, you need to think more highly of me because what you said is not true. And so I want you to think more better of me than you do. I can be, in fact, when you boil it all down, I am my own idol, right? I want what I want to satisfy me, and that's my own idolatry when you boil it all down. So what God desired for us, he, he wants to replace our desires with healthy ones. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Can food be an idol? Yep, can be. But I don't think it's just talking about food specifically, but anything that we crave intently and whose glory is in their shame. 
who set their mind on earthly things. How much do emphasis do we put on the possessions we have? Praise God, he's given it, especially for us here. I think you've got to agree with me. Even those who are on welfare are living pretty good compared to someone like living in Haiti. <laughs> but can we... In fact, I really believe this. Whatever God has given me, and I am richly blessed by God in material things. But am I using those material things to further the gospel? To enhance my relationship with him? Or are they being used to take him away from me? In fact, years ago, when my, after my wife and I were shortly married, her dad was big into handguns, and he kind of got me interested. And so I want to have my own handgun. And so I went to the local uh, uh, sports shop and, and uh, started looking around. And, and uh, i got to be honest, I kept trying to force the issue to get my own handgun. I was trying to manipulate the finances. Yeah, we can do this. And it just didn't work out. And I came to this conclusion. I said, all right, God, you know me better than I know myself. Maybe if I get this thing, it will take me farther from you instead of moving me closer to you. Maybe I would get into shooting matches that would take me away on Sunday. And really take me off in a direction I don't need to go in. So I just said, okay, Lord, leave it in your hands. Well, two years later, I tried again. Lord, allowed it this time. But I believe the reason may be is because I am now mature enough to handle it and keep it in its proper place. God knew that you're not ready for this. You know, I've got three kids, but I never gave my kids the keys of the car until they were able to drive it. They wanted to drive. Jim and Mike, ah, get me behind the wheel, I want to go, you know. Can I drive? I said, when you're able and you're willing, and, but not, while you're will, not right now, you're not ready for that. So God knows us. So when he says no to something, how do we respond to that? Do we try to force the issue? Or do we accept it as God? You know me better than I know myself. Idolatry. God knows our desires. He knows what desires to, we, are, we can handle. So even the believers, we struggle with idolatry. And in fact, in 2 Kings 17, we find that the Jews struggle with it here. All in one verse, 2 Kings 17.41 says, So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. Isn't that sad? They feared God. They had somewhat of a love for God, yet they served carved images. For how many generations? Three. The children, the parents, and the grandparents. Do we see the same thing happen in America today? I've seen it in my own lifetime. Families breaking down, and they become a generational cycle thing. The only way we're going to turn it around is get our young people into the Word of God and let them change. In fact, I think I'm going to share it with you quick, because it just, to me, it's an amazing testimony. My grandfather came from a long history of alcoholics. Far as back as he can remember. Or no, family were alcoholics. His mom and dad were such terrible alcoholics that they had to um, scatter him and his eight brothers to wherever they could get help and get taken care of. But my grandfather, come to know Christ as a savior, and there's no alcoholics, and out of 72 people in our family, two are not born again, and they married into the family. Amen. So God can turn a generation around by one man who said, I am not going there, I'm going to raise my children to be godly, and he did. And that's what God does. And so we can't write off a generation. But we are responsible for our own. Again, I thank you, parents, for having your kids here. They need to know God. It's the only hope they have of being delivered from the evils of this world and the conflicts that come with it. So I judge. 
I'm going to demand, and if my demands aren't met, I'm going to judge. I'm going to play God. I'm going to criticize. I'm going to be a nitpicker. Let's go to James chapter 3. James saw this, and he, he talks about the tongue. <laughs> he talks about the evil of the tongue. It can't be tamed because someone here is trying to manipulate the world around them and use their tongue to do it. James 3.15 says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything, every evil thing are there. Chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Do not speak evil one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of the brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and the judges of the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a, a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you say. Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. See, so we leave God out of the equation. Any equation we put together in life must include God first. Have you very diligently made plans for your life and then you've gone to God and said, Isn't this great, God? I consulted the Bible, everything's good. Put your stamp of approval on it. Have we done that? I have. And God said, I got a better plan. No, God, I don't think so. You didn't consult me first. Now, we don't say those words, but that's what we do when we complain and whine and gripe. The Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why are we murmuring and disputing? God, this isn't what I had planned. This is what I had planned to give me the best for my life. Because we're looking at things from an earthly perspective instead of a heavenly one. As James just pointed out, how long are we here? Just a vapor. I believe, at least it's helped me in the last several years, I am thinking less about earthly and thinking more about eternal. God, you can do whatever you want to me because whatever happens here cannot last forever. <laughs> it's temporary. I'm planning for the eternal. So when we begin to nitpick and criticize with each other and attack each other we're doing nothing more than what Satan wants us to do we're, we're playing right into his hands then we want to have our feelings of, of superiority and so we try to ridicule other people be bitter about it we begin to speculate their motives I hate it when I do that and I try not to, but have you ever done that with people? We read into what we think they're doing, and there's really nothing to base it on. It's just that's what we think. Why? Because that's what we would do in my sinful condition. And yet we need to take, the Bible says, in, in fact, uh, you read 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 8, love bears all things. That word bearer means I will not read into it. I will take you at face value. Until proven otherwise. So we lose our love for others. And we become the priority. So when we make our demands, or we have our desires, they turn, our desires turn into demands, and we begin to judge, and if it's still not working, you know what we do next? We begin to punish each other. We begin to take it out on each other. We put you on a guilt trip. We sharpen up our tongue and start using some language and some innuendos and things of that nature shouldn't be. And if it's not that, it's this. A dirty look, you know. Have you ever walked through the door of the house and you know your wife's mad she hasn't said a word? Or vice versa. You can read the body language. Well, I'm godly, I'm not saying a word. No, but you got frostbite just walking into the room. 
It is all wrong. It is all for punishment. And that's why we have these problems. Instead of letting the Word of God be our x-ray. What am I preoccupied with? Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. As we read in James, out of our mouth, out of our actions, reveals what's going on in the heart. Luke 12, 29 says this, And do not seek what you should not eat, or what you should drink, nor have, nor have an anxious mind. Now this anxious is in a negative way because, as Glenn said, sometimes we let our minds go someplace where it shouldn't be. Now whose fault is that? When we know our mind has entered territory it shouldn't be, who's, who can change that? That's my choice. Get my mind off of whatever I'm thinking on and get it on Christ. If only I would get this. I'm not going to turn to Judges, but you'll know what happened there as I remind you. You remember Samson? That's one guy I don't understand how God used him. He's a Nazarite from almost conception. And yet, he had this intense desire for a woman he had no business even looking at. And yet he went to his dad and said, Dad, I want that woman. And his dad reminded him, you can't have that woman and be godly. Isn't there anybody else in our faith that you could go to? She pleases me well. He wasn't looking to her for godliness. He was looking for the physical. But he insisted... He is preoccupied. What? That was all he could think about. Is this woman. Now, R may not be a problem with women, but it could be something else. What do you find yourself dwelling on a great deal? How can I manage our finances so I can get that new car, that new boat, or that new dress, or whatever it is? How much time are we working on these things? Or if there's a problem between two individuals, are you constantly thinking about and running them down and making them look better than you? That's nothing more than what gossip is. And you can gossip with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody else. <laughs> if only I had this, I could be happy. Did it work for Samson? No, it didn't. What do I want to avoid at all costs? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. This is the other extreme. There is a problem set before us, perhaps at home or at work, with other individuals. Exodus 14, 10 through 12, we find this. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there is no graze in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we have told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be, have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What, what are they doing here? They're taking the easy way out. Let's go back to where we were. Let's not have any more conflict. That, to me, is somewhat amazing. They just saw the ten plagues done in Egypt. God just took them out of there, and he's living them with a pillar of fire, and a pillar of cloud, and he's feeding them with a the manna, and all these things, and they're saying they're afraid of the Egyptians? What do we got to fear these days, folks? But sometimes we want to avoid whatever's sitting in front of us instead of dealing with it. And God expected it, and they did deal with it. Moses did. And again, can you imagine what they would have missed if they went back to Egypt? Can you imagine the Red Sea parting wide enough for two and a half million people to walk on dry land overnight? What a 
sight there must have been to see. And then when they got on the other side, Moses touched the water with a rod, and that whole army they were worried about was drowned. And it's amazing. There's a man who has taken scuba deer, and because Solomon put a pillar on both sides of the Red Sea where they crossed, you know what's in between at the bottom of it? They found the chariots. They're, under the, they're in the mud, in the Red Sea. They're there. The Arabs won't let them get at it. I wonder why. Because it proves the scripture's true. But it's, to be, it, it's, it's there. But anyways, they would have missed out on all that. Sometimes in the conflicts that we, we're going to miss out too. We need to face the issue from a biblical perspective and reap the blessings that will come from it. Because it will draw us closer to God and to each other if the conflict is between each other. What do I trust? What do I fear? Let's look at first look at first Timothy one seven. We all have fears. They come in many forms. First Timothy chapter one verse seven. I think it's Second Timothy one seven. Yeah, 2 Timothy 1.7. If that's 1 Timothy in your notes, change it to 2 Timothy, please. For God has not given us what? Spirit of fear. But of power, of love, and of what? A sound mind. What do our fears do with our mind? Create anxiety. Depression, discouragement, all those things that go with it. Now, some fears are simple things. My wife's scared to death of bats. And I can, I got, we've got some great stories we can talk about that. We won't do that today. But, but some of you are afraid of bats too. Some of you are afraid of fearful snakes. Those are all simple things. But don't we have bigger fears? Maybe we're afraid of the direction which the world's going in. Maybe we're afraid of the economy. Maybe we're afraid of our health. How many things can we list that we've been afraid of over the years? I can admit I've had a lot of fears in the past. I used to struggle with depression and discouragement. But I realized it was because of what I was thinking about instead of what I should have been thinking about. And so I asked God to retrain the way I was thinking about these things. I used to be scared to death of rats. Lots of them on a dairy farm. I remember one day cleaning out a calf pen and rolling around there was 15 rats under this thing and I was... <laughs> yeah, you're all shelling just like me. <laughs> yeah, I was running and, and, and I couldn't run fast enough because one of them went up my pant leg. You know? But later I realized, who's bigger here? Me or the rat? And he's just afraid of me as I am of him. He was looking for a place to hide. I just wish he found another place other than my pant leg. <laughs> but you get the point. I had to ask God to retrain my thinking. Those things don't bother me anymore. What causes me to feel this frustration, this anxiety, the bitter, the angry, the depression? It's our emotions. And I've said this before and I repeat it again very quickly. Our emotions are God's warning signal that something within us is not right. We need to ask Him, why am I fearful? Why am I angry? Why am I bitter? Why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? Ask God to reveal what it is that's causing those things and He'll show it to you. And then show Him, God, how can I fix this? What do I need to retrain in the way I'm thinking so I don't have to suffer this anymore? And I can tell you from personal experience, He'll do that. And I'll be working on this to the day I die. I haven't got a handle on it all yet. So it's the cure for an idolatry. Renew our love for God, Mark 12, 30. 
Because ultimately, what's the bottom problem here with my anger, my fear, all those things? The bottom line is me. Things are not the way I want them to be. I am loving myself more than God. But when I put my love for Him first, that, I can tell you from personal experience, that makes a major difference in your walk with Him and your whole outlook in life. Like I wear glasses because I need to see it so I can read. But I, in a sense, I wish every one of us as Christians had glasses so we are seeing life through His eyes. But you know, we do have a, and here it is. If you're not reading this book and digesting this book, you're never going to see life from God's perspective. And if you don't see life from His perspective, you're going to be a really shaky Christian. That's why we must meditate on this day and night from the book of Psalms that says that. Meditate therein day and night. And I appreciate Glenn sharing. And I, I am, I'm with Glenn. Glenn, there's days when I don't want to pick up my Bible and read it. There's days when I don't want to go to the office and study the Word of God. There's days when, why do I get up? Due to the lack of interest, today's been canceled. Ever been there? <laughs> I'm just going to stay in bed today. And have you ever had those days when, you know, the old saying, get off the wrong side? I never get off the wrong side of the bed, but it seems like it sometimes because nothing goes wrong right all day long. Been there? I know you have. And God's just trying, John, I'm trying to shake you up. You're thinking wrong. Think through my eyes. Look at life through my eyes. It's not about you. It's about me. But I'll make it worth your while. And it's going to be work. It is a battle. So that's why you're part of my sermon is fitting right in here. If you as a Christian today are not convinced we're in a spiritual battle, you're in deep trouble. Because every day is a battle. And it will be a battle until the day we die or the rapture takes place for us. We've got to be ready to battle. Now, how many of us guys, well, I don't know, enlisted in the army? we got some of you that were in the service, Marine, and you're Marines too? Yeah. And, but some of us never had that privilege. And I would have considered privilege, but i got to admit, because I was the last year they had the draft. My number came up 32. I said, I guess I'm going into the service. Not much I can do about it. So I tried to get into the medical corps. They said, we've got too many people in there, I can't guarantee it. So I said, all right, I'll wait for the draft. They put the no draft in. But at the same time, I met Brenda. And we were somewhat getting serious at the time. And now I'm not so eager to go because I don't want to leave her. And what if something happened? But that could have all been part of God's plan too. It wasn't my plan. It was His plan. And I have to accept His plan for whatever it is. Then we need to repent. Acts 3, 319. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Circle that word refreshing. How many of us want to be refreshed? How many of us when we wake up in the morning want to be physically refreshed, but also mentally and spiritually refreshed? There's only one way. We've got to be persistent and consistent with our repentance process. And repentance doesn't mean, God, I confess my sin, I know it's wrong, and that's it. Repentance is something we do every day, moment by moment. Mm -hmm. and, and for myself, I am recently started, when I wake up in the morning and I pray, Lord, you know my sin issues. I'm reminding myself today that I've repented of that. And when I see that sin tendency coming again, Lord, I repented of that. Now, I wish I could say I was 100% successful in my repentance process, but I do believe I'm getting better at it because I'm reminding myself more and more, it's not about me, it's about Him, and repentance is a major factor here. And what does repentance mean? I am not going to do this anymore. 
I'm going to start doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. That's repentance. And folks, you and I got to do it every moment of the day. Because how quickly can we fall into sin? Man, you can be going along doing really good. And all of a sudden, dang, right now you can fall into sin, right? If we're honest with ourselves. So repentance is necessary. Then we need to go to God's toolbox. You can't fix something without proper tools. In fact, I remember when I first started working on our cars. And you had these cheap little crescent wrenches that we would round off. You know, you're trying to save money and you didn't save any money. And you're trying to fix something, you don't have all the right tools. You know what I'm talking about, guys, don't you? There's nothing like trying to do a job without not having the tools. We have a toolbox, and it's sitting right there in your lap. Everything we need to overcome conflict and to please the Lord is right here. Now, there's some tools. In fact, let's, let's use the toolbox of the armor. Now, those of you who have been in the service, you spent some time behind the gun, right? Learn how to use it. There's other things they put you through to learn how to do certain things, learn to do it well, right? How proficient are we at using our sword? How proficient are we, are we in using the full armor of God? In fact, Mary went to the counseling conference out there to get some training to be a counselor and you know what she observed when she was out there and she's absolutely right that conference was not so much learning how to be a better counselor it was just learning how to be a good Christian and it's right because the one thing that's helped me more than anything in my Christian walk is my counseling training. It's maybe a better pastor, a better preacher, and I can identify with the sin issues. And it taught me how to use my tools better. Right? That's exactly what it is, Mary. Now, you don't have to go to a conference to learn that. In a sense, I'm giving you some instruction here now from the pulpit. But we have a Bible study in the morning where Mike gives us some instruction. We'll be back again tonight. You can get some more instruction. But what if you took your skills and the guy shot, told you how to shoot a gun and then you didn't touch it for three months? Wouldn't work, would it? So if you're going to become proficient with your rifle, what do you got to do? Shoot. shoot every day. Every day. Now, I like to shoot archery. I watch these guys in the Olympics. They'll shoot 200 arrows a day. 200 That's... That, that's all day. But man, when they're hitting a spot the size of a thumbtack, it pays off. Do you want to be successful in your walk with Christ? Do you want to have a better relationship with Him? Do you want to have a better relationship with each other? Then you've got to use the tools. And you've got to learn to use them every day. And it's work. It is work. What's in the toolbox? The Bible, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I guarantee you, you can't read this book and, get, and not get under conviction. And if you are, you're not saved. Then you're in bigger trouble. You're going to read this book and find conviction. But what's our response to conviction? Oh, I wish I hadn't read that. Thank you, God, for showing me that I'm wrong and how to fix it. That brings me closer to you. Then we have the Holy Spirit. We won't turn to Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 2, but the Holy Spirit indwells us. And you know what it is. When you've, when you've sinned, you know it, don't you? He's in there with a poker prodding you. That's sin. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. Then Galatians 6.1. Something else God's given us that's overlooked a great deal today. But we have each other. 
Galatians 6.1. It says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. When you see your brother or sister sin in Christ, sin, do we love them enough to go to them gently and tell them? After we've also admitted, hey, I got the same problem. Can we work on this together? Why do you think God puts us together in a local church? We need each other. We need to love each other going enough to take care of it. God wants to replace our idols. God, again, let me remind you, God has designed us to be worshipers. He made us with his own two hands. He made us in his image. He breathed his breath of life into us. And we're the only creature on the face of the earth in the whole universe that God sent his own son to die for us. If that doesn't give you an awe of God, your eyes are closed. But he wants us to delight in him and to worship him. He wants us to fear him, have a respect for him, an awe of him. He wants us to love him. And not the love that the world is talking about, but an unconditional, sacrificial love. It's not about me. I've been saying that more and more myself over the years. It's not about me. Let me encourage you to do the same thing. It's not about me. I don't care. You know, we ought to be fighting over who's going to be last in line instead of who's first. We ought to be fighting over who's going to get the smaller piece of cake instead of the bigger one. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about me. Trust God. What sent our Savior to the cross? Conflict. Conflict between me and Him. And Jesus Christ made it possible to eliminate the conflict. But we... Do we really want that conflict to go away? Do we really want Christ to have not died on the cross? We may not understand all the details, and it really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, look at all the means of gods out there. There's not one God out there that sent his son to die for his creature. Our God did. He took it upon himself. To die for me in my place. That's how important I am to him. Do I deserve to be that important? Absolutely not. I am nothing but a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner before all holy God. How about you? And if I see myself anything less than that, I'm in trouble. Because when I see myself bigger than I really am spiritually, I begin to create a conflict between me and God. So God sent his son to die on the cross to take care of that conflict first between me and him and now between me and you. And as we read in James, where does that conflict all start? Right here. It starts within. And so when those conflicts begin to stir whether it be in a family relationship, a church relationship, a job relationship, even a neighbor. Ever had any bad neighbors you just can't get along with? I'm sure you do. Sometimes just walking into the grocery store you can get into a conflict. God wants us to look to Him, love Him first, and realize life is not about me. And take all these things and put them in their proper place. And that refreshing that we're looking for will be there. Now, conflict between two. No guarantee the other person's going to respond. But we are responsible for how we respond. And that's what God holds us accountable for. We can pray, we can do what God wants us to. But we can go to bed at night realizing, God, I'm at peace with you. My sin has been covered. And you've taken care of it. And I want that refreshment that comes from you when I wake up tomorrow morning. Know that we're still okay. 
And I want that refreshment never to go away, no matter what takes place. And God will do that. He wants that. Father, thank you for the word of God. We live in a troublesome world. But you're a God that loves us so much that you sent your own son to pay the penalty, to make it possible for no conflict to exist between me and you. I am grateful that you're a perfect and holy God and I never have to worry about in our relationship who's perfect, who's right and wrong. I know it's going to be me that's wrong and you that's going to be right. That means, God, i got to change. I don't have to expect you to change. I don't want you to change. For you're a holy God and I'm a sinful creature. But I know that when I respond from the Word of God because of my love for you, You'll give me a peace and a refreshment that can't be explained. I pray, Father, as I do so, Jesus Christ will radiate from me to others and they too will find hope and want that same peace and refreshment that I enjoy because of my relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.